Have you ever been in holding and overheard what actors say about producers? No, I haven't. Tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) From what I understand, sometimes they're not prepared. I mean, a lot of times I think on commercials, actors will show up and they're just told what they're going to be doing, like as they're sitting in the makeup chair. They've not had scripts given to them beforehand. They've not been told what they're doing for the day. They literally just show up. And that blows my fucking mind. It's one of my biggest pet peeves when I hear that talent are kind of treated like second-class citizens or... Like an afterthought. Uh, or they're lucky to be there. I've literally mm-hmm. heard this from <laughs> oh on the God. client side. I'm not going to wow. say... Yeah, they're lucky to be here. But, like, these people are career professionals, right? They are fully trained. They do this. So many of them that we work with do this for a full-time living. And, you know, they're, they're, they're SAG, they're professionals... And they're seasoned pros. Actors should be considered a crew member. They have a job just like we do. So imagine our DP, our gaffer, hell, the craft service person shows up and they don't know what they're doing for the day. And they were not allowed to prep. Or they had the wrong script. Or, yeah, they're not properly prepped. Or they thought that they were coming in to do a swimming scene and all of a sudden it's a bear <laughs> fighting scene. <laughs> oh, my I mean, goodness. that feels extreme, but let me tell you, we're hey. in New York. It happens. Yes. But I'm just saying, like, we all have a job to do and we're a team. So they need to be prepped the same way that you would prep um, your VTR person. Exactly. So after this episode, you are going to have a little more compassion for your on-camera talent because we chat with a very seasoned sag after actor, Mike Nelson. I've worked with him a ton. I know, Christian, you like to call him Mustache Mike. Um, <laughs> he just saw him in a lotto commercial for the holidays. Oh, I produced that one. It's, it's oh. on again. I did. Mm. Mm, how about that? Um, well, <laughs> did and, you have that sweater made with his mustache? Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, that shit is good. It is, exactly. Um, we talked to Mike about uh, what he needs as an actor to show up on set and feel prepared and confident and be able to do their best work. We'll also learn how the shift from union to non-union work has affected him and others like him. And for our actor friends who are listening, some insight into how to audition properly so you can book the job. So stick around. Welcome to the Producers Happy Hour with your hosts, Sister Christian and Lawrence Lewis. We are two producers with over 20 years of experience each, chatting over drinks about what it means and what it takes to be a good producer. Join us for insightful interviews and informative show topics that will help you get through your toughest jobs, biggest production challenges, and most difficult clients. So grab a drink. You're going to need it. And let's get to it. Because making shit is hard. I need a drink today, Christian. What about you? <laughs> I started drinking already. Yeah, so. well. Because <laughs> I'm working is why. <laughs> okay. I'm not working, and so that makes me want to drink a little more. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We're back with our Meet the Crew series. We're interviewing an actor. I know, which I'm very excited about because I recognize him. When he popped in, I was like, oh shit, I've seen him a million times. And we all really need to understand that actors should be treated as well as we treat our crew. So today we're chatting with actor Mike Nelson. Mike, welcome to the show. Hi, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here. This is (laughs) awesome. 
Are you enjoying a drink with us for happy hour? I'm having a little uh, morning coffee right now. So very a good. <laughs> Is there something in it? Hmm. We're it could not be telling. Half and half, or it could be Goldschlager. <laughs> something. <laughs> Holy cow! Yes. What are you drinking, Christian? Well, today I'm drinking some Rabbit Hole Kentucky Straight <gasps> Bourbon because it's 12:05 at recording time, and I feel like <laughs> don't tell I have people. met my match. Today, I have a classic hot toddy. It's fall, right? It's autumn, and it's time for a warm little whiskey drink. And it's so easy. I'll put the recipe in the show notes as usual. Heat up a little water, add a little whiskey, a little honey, a little lemon. It's good to go. It's hoodie weather, so I'm very excited. It's finally gotten a little chilly in Los Angeles. It's great. I love it. Let's dive in. But first, if you want to stay updated on our latest episodes, get our delicious cocktail recipes. That's most important. Plus some (laughs) of our helpful producer hacks that we've learned over the many, many, many years we've been doing this. Join our newsletter. Now I know what you're saying. Not another fucking email thing, Sister Mm. Christian. But don't worry. We won't do anything weird with your email address, probably. You'll just get a couple of emails a month from us full of great info. Sign up at ProducersHappyHour.com. Now on to our interview. Mike is a union actor that was born and bred and schooled in the Hoosier State. Spent some formative years waiting tables, taking second city classes, and doing storefront theater in Chicago, which is rough streets, everyone. Rough streets, yes. But he's lived in L.A. since 2005 and has gone on to do over 80 national union commercials, which is amazing. Numerous feature films like The Mortuary Collection and Bullet County, recurring roles on Blackish and an upcoming Apple Plus show called Shrinking with Jason Segal and Harrison Ford. Welcome to the show, Mike Nelson. Yes, hey, so nice to be here. What a, what an intro. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. <laughs> so give us a little background on you. You know, as a young kid, at what point did you realize you wanted to be an actor? I am what they call a very late bloomer. Those uh, are the best kind, my friends. Sexually, for sure, late bloomer. Um, I was raised Catholic, so I had a lot of guilt growing up. So I was scared Still, of everything. Maybe. Everything was, uh, you're going to hell. My first acting class I ever took was my sophomore year in college. I was actually petrified huh. to be in front of people. As much as I was nervous and I would dry heave in these acting classes and stuff, I also got that little spark of like, wow, this is this is crazy. I'm kind of overcoming this fear, but I also really enjoy playing pretend as an adult. So Moved to Chicago with a theater degree and just, you know, did the same thing. Did Second City, waited tables, did theater with my buddies. And again, never thought this is a career choice. It was something fun that I liked to do and started a sketch group called Dry Hump Comedy in Chicago that we brought out here to L.A. And it was just my favorite kind of comedy. Yeah, it was kind of, yeah, we called it aggressively inappropriate sketch comedy. So it was very, very fun. Love it. Spent pretty much all of my 20s and early 30s doing this. I moved to L.A. when I was 30. Like, again, didn't move out here saying, like, I have 20 bucks in a dream. Right. I, I had friends out here. <laughs> I got my job transferred. I had a day job, so I got that transferred out to Los Angeles. Luckily, the first time I started auditioning, I was like 32 years old. Started booking stuff kind of straight away in the non-union world and then joined the union when I was 33. So late bloomer in that sense of like, you know, you hear like, he moved to L.A. when he was 30? Why? He's uh, a, a grandfather. Well, yeah. Follow-up question. <laughs> do you remember the first commercial that you booked? I actually do. It seems total bullshit, but this is this is legit. Well, um, I can't wait. 
first audition, non-union spot for, I think it was like a Sam's Club. It was like a big box store audition and it was for Christmas time. And this is like the fall of 2007. I go to this place. And again, I, I've always had imposter syndrome. I started late. I walk into this place. It seems like everyone knows each other in the audition room. It's packed. There's a million rooms going on at once. And I'm just in the corner, seriously, like flop sweating, dry heaving, <laughs> like panic attack super anxiety. Like, what am I doing? I've made a horrible mistake. I walk into the audition and it's one of those where it's just a reaction. They're just, someone's doing something on the foreground and you're just someone that reacts to it. I do that. I walk out of there, huge relief. Like, oh my God, I made it through this audition. <laughs> the next day, my, my agent's like, you got a callback. And I'm like, what? For that? For, For what that? I did yesterday? Awesome. Going to the callback. And it was a group, group callback. Director's there. And the director didn't really tell us what to do, but he said, don't do these things. He gave us a list of like, just don't do this. There's a couple <laughs> on one side of the stage, and then there's me and another actor over here. And as soon as the, the director sells, yells action for our callback audition, the actor I'm with does everything we were just told <gasps> not to do. So oh, I'm no. like, in my head, I'm just like, oh my God, this guy just blew it. We're dead. He's uh -huh. going to yell at us walk out there totally defeated, like, that was my chance. It's over. I'm going to just go back to Chicago. It's over. But then, yeah, I get the call, like, you're on a veil. What's a veil? Oh, it means you're like, you know, you're in the finals. You're kind of down to whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but the guy next to me. And so I learned that kind of, that was my first thing. I book my first audition, first callback. I book it. Oh, my gosh. And, and got to go shoot that in, like, Palm Desert or something was my first experience in Los Angeles on an audition. So I learned that. You book your first audition? That's yeah, amazing. Yeah, which is so stupid. That's... It's crazy. One yeah. in a billion. But I also learned that you can kind of shine even if someone else doesn't in your audition or callback. Mm -hmm. And I learned that in my first audition, which was very lucky. I think that I learned that lesson of you never know how you're going to book or what you're going to book or why you're going to book. So just do your work and, and fingers crossed. I think it's just fascinating that, you know, you, like you said, you didn't come out here with stars in your eyes. You just loved this thing that made you a little nervous or petrified. And what's coming through is like this pure talent that you have inside. Been in many audition rooms where I see you come in as you and that's just it. And here I am. I'm Mike Nelson. And lo and behold, you get booked. It, it's Pretty fascinating. But what I want to get into is is talking about SAG because, you know, that was a non-union thing. At some point, you became SAG. When, do you mm -hmm. remember when that happened? When, when did you get your SAG card? I think it was 07. I started auditioning and I booked, I think, two or three non-union spots. But I think I did this Hyundai spot. It was like Canada only Hyundai spot where I get sprayed with a hose. I walk by a girl that's washing her car and I, it, this is like my patent pending Mike Nelson gig <laughs> where I walk by and I'm kind of like the douchey neighbor where I'm like, Hey, mind if I give your car a ride? And she sprays me with the hose and I just kind of take the spray and I'm like, see you later. And just like, <laughs> keep, keep on a walking. <laughs> like, hey, ladies, do you mind if I? Nope. All right. And oh, then I just okay. walk off the side. So that was the, the first union job I booked where I became SAG eligible. And then just a few months later, I booked a second union spot for, I think, Hotels.com. And then there was one for CC's Pizza. And <gasps> that was the one where I had to go and plop down my money and do that. I was a must join. So must I had join. to. In the span of, I think, like six months where I went from non-union to, oh my gosh, I'm putting down a couple Gs yeah. and uh, yeah, I'm getting my SAG card, which was just the most exciting thing in the world to be like, I cannot believe I'm doing this and I'm doing it through commercial work too. You know, if you move to New York or London or Los Angeles, you're not like, 
I'm going to go become the king of commercials. Like no one, no one, no. everyone wants to do film and TV and all that stuff. Yeah. Do these really sexy, cool jobs. But commercials is where the money is. <laughs> exactly. Where it's like, you can support the rest of your acting career by, you know, making money through voiceover mm-hmm. or background or all of this stuff. And I learned that kind of quickly from auditioning where I was like, this is amazing. I can pursue yeah. other things from the money I'm earning from doing, you know, commercial work, which was really cool. Exactly. What does being SAG mean to you or now SAG-AFTRA? There's a lot of stuff going on with unions and non-unions, but what does it mean to you? Uh, is it something it seems like you, you do cherish? Yeah, I, I really do. And I, and I had to learn to cherish it more and more because it was very exciting to, you know, plop down that money and get your SAG card and be like, holy cow, I am... I'm in the same union of, of all your, your favorites and all these people that have blown you mm-hmm. away your whole life. And, mm-hmm. and, and just learning about, you know, the reason SAG came about is actors of the day, the stars of the day were like, man, all of these other actors are getting treated like dog shit. We need to come up with something to protect you. So right away, I wasn't really involved on that front. I was just like, holy cow, I'm a, I'm a card carrying member with, you know, Julia Roberts and, you know, George Clooney <laughs> and like Don Cheadle. You get we're, the we're peers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Like right when you walk in. We're the, door. the same, right? Everybody, right? <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah, totally. Right, like yeah. Equity. Yeah. So that was just really exciting. But it took me years to kind of understand like, what it really means and why it's so important. So over the years, once it starts becoming your career and not just like a hobby or something you're, yeah. you're hoping to get, it's, it became my career where I was consistently making my living and I quit my day job because I was consistently booking work over you know a decade where I was like, I need to know a little bit more. And I, I, I took mm-hmm. that thing of like, I need to take some steps towards my own union. I'm part of this organization and I got to do my part in learning like, what the hell? Why is it important? Why should I belong to this group? Is it perfect? No, no organization's perfect. I have a lot of peccadillos and qualms about it. But the alternative, since I've lived on that side and I've booked non-union work, the alternative to union work is just so distinct and black and white. It's not good. The union is what we have. So we have to improve upon it and make it better because as an actor, it's like you are protected. You have an organization that has your back. If you get treated shittily or you do, you get asked to do something unsafe or unsavory, Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. if they screw up your pay, if you're non-union, there's no real avenue for recourse. Mm -hmm. There's nowhere to go. At least with SAG, there are options and you have this backing where you know you have this group that will go to bat for you. Yeah. And I always looked at um, union jobs as like, for us as producers, now we have a set of rules. And you know what? It um, levels the field. It means that we follow these. Everybody knows what to expect when they show up, that there'll be breaks at a certain time. And if they're not, then there are penalties. We as good producers should not be defensive because it's just guidelines for us to use. Exactly doing them and their rules. Exactly. Exactly. Just a, a set of standards or rules. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. Which we should all adhere by. A lot of them are just like treat people ethically is the rule. He's like, fuck. That's kind of my biggest thing is. <laughs> right. We can get into like the philosophical debate of just yeah, of, of work in the United and... States where you're seeing it in every <laughs> mm-hmm. walk where workers mm-hmm. are like, mm-hmm. we're just asking for a livable Decency. wage, <laughs> a, a possibility of having health insurance or retirement right. funds or safety. retirement dignity and Just safety like, on uh, where right. we work. And it's like, yeah. that is Some not a big ask. No. <laughs> it's never been a big <laughs> ask. It's like, 
it shouldn't be a big ask. Yeah. You know, like some streaming services and other advertisers have started to either lower contracts or go non-union in general. Have you seen this affect you at all? 100%. It's really dire right now. And again, I'm not I'm not hopeless, but it's not super hopeful either. It's kind of this in-between right now where the internet has changed every aspect mm-hmm. of our lives and it's affected advertising and it's affected television and cable yeah. and all mm-hmm. these things. So you have all these companies that are still trying to figure out like, how do we get our new products and services out to the world? You know, is it is it while people are taking a shit, you know, on their solitaire game where something's going to pop up? <laughs> so oh, it's shit. not, it, it was get easier back head. in the day. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was easier back in the day when it was like, we can put this product on an episode of Knott's Landing on CBS <sighs> on Thursdays at 7.30. <laughs> exactly. Like, and we know that 11 million people are going to see it where now yeah, right. it's the Wild West. So... As an actor, I'm just hoping that we can just remain part of this ecosystem. And right now, it's just really tough for everyone. Everyone I talk to in the ecosystem, you guys included, it's like producers, advertising agencies, casting directors, managers and agents and actors, everyone is feeling this push down from the top of, we want more agility, more flexibility. We want the ability to take this thing that we shoot and carve it up and put it on a million things for this very low price for this price that (laughs) is very difficult to do. So we're, we're as actors, we are very low on the food chain, but my hope is that there can be kind of a little bit of a rediscovery and a pushback of the human element of all of this that goes into making advertising good. Right now, I think we're at this point where too many brands, and this is just my opinion, think that advertising is disposable and they just need to get their name out there. They just need to let you know that Sonic is still a restaurant that you can go and get burgers for five bucks. They just want to let you know that they're still open for business. So they don't really care that much about the content because they've gone back and forth mm-hmm. with union and non-union. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just as an example, but hundreds upon hundreds of companies and and these companies, you know, if you read their profits every quarter that they got. Oh, it's like God. most profits since last quarter, which were the most profits since the quarter before that. And and it's like that for years. So we're dealing with cut costs at all costs. And yet we want to make the most profit every quarter. So it's this, can you do more for less? Can you do more for less? We say, we say it all the time on this show, late stage capitalism, the idea yes. of indefinite profit growth Uh, coupled with cost cutting yeah right it's just like i I don't understand how that's supposed to be feasible actors the crew the directors the producers the drivers everybody involved Mm -hmm. in advertising it's like everyone just wants a livable wage and to be treated like a human being these companies did that for decades that's the thing i've kind of had this like epiphany of oh that ship has sailed we can't do that anymore we can't pay people livable wage like we did in the 70s and 80s and 90s and i'm like (laughs) but you did do that for 30 years straight and and your companies were still profitable the ceo still made an obscene amount of money your your shareholders still did well on the markets and yet you still paid you know the fast talking fedex guy a lot of money back in the 80s and you were fine one advertiser i think it was a cosmetic brand in some article probably on some trade magazine was saying that we had the budget to make two national broadcast commercials a year now in order to stay relevant in front of everybody we have to make 50 pieces of content a month yep and with that same budget exactly that's the thing that's the caveat is the same budget so that's the thing is the brand i think just calls up 
the agency, and there's no agency of record anymore, which used to be, used to have the same agency for decades with the same brands. And it was just, they didn't go out, they didn't bid out their work, but now every piece of that 50 piece content Uh gets bid out. So it's a free for all. And you have a lot of these smaller, more agile companies that are newer and younger that are like, we'll do it for a dollar. (laughs) Um, So a lot of these brands are like, let's go with the cheap kids and see if they'll do it. So yeah, there's this pushdown of then the agency turns to production companies and they're like, can you do this for a dollar? And the production company's like, it's Coca-Cola or it's it's some huge UPS <sighs> yeah. or it's Disney. And they're like, that looks good on our resume that we're working with them. So we know a way you can do it for a dollar. Yeah. We can go non-union. We can shoot it in Mexico or Vancouver. We can save and, on the crew and the actors. And it's like, ugh. And it's not even the small upstart production companies. Yeah. It's the big ones that are making uh-huh. their secret non-union arm so mm-hmm. they can capture as much of the projects as possible because yep. with overhead and I, I don't know how these behemoth production companies stay afloat on just their 20 to 25% markup, they need to grab every single job they can get. So they have to be flexible and they have to figure out how to grab those cheap ones too. I was in one room with a, with a CMO of a big fast food chain and we, it was non-union mm, and we put one? out the break. I can't say. <laughs> and we put out the breakdown and like the buyout for the actors, it was just so insulting. It was so, something so criminally low. And when the breakdown came out, some people saw it and they rallied around and, and threatened to bring a picket line. SAG actors we saw it and was like, that is insane. Also, this is a huge chain. It should be union. Mm-hmm. But even if it's not that rate's ridiculous, we're going to come pick it, and I don't know how it got settled, but I remember being in the in the room with the, the CMO at the time, and they said, do we still have this problem with these actors who are mad about this rate? I mean, they should be happy. They're getting on a commercial for this product. It's going to boost their career. I try to explain this because, you know, people see my face on television, you know, like, hey, look at this mustachioed idiot, hawking whatever. <laughs> he must be doing great. He must have a house in the hills and driving a Rolls Royce. And it's like, that just is not the case. It's not the and case anymore. Take, for example, it's like, I remember some of those non-union jobs and it would be like, you know, a $1,500 buyout. And sometimes it was for if two and that. three years use, you know, so it'd oh, be like or in perpetuity. Yeah, in perpetuity, oh, which should be illegal. So there's even should some of those be. commercials, which people at home should know that yep. like in perpetuity means they can use your name and your likeness and your voice forever for a one time buyout, which can be hundreds of dollars. And which is hilarious because we've learned now in this kind of weird negative, everything's kind of, everyone's kind of out for themselves. There's no sense of community now that everyone's Mm -hmm. feeling the pinch. Everyone is like, I got to keep my doors open or I got to keep my lights on or I got to keep food on the table. Everyone's become Mm -hmm. very non-communal and more selfish in my opinion. These are just my opinions Mm -hmm. again, but yeah, we've lost sight of, you might get that $1,500 for a three-year buyout. So that's $500 a year you're earning. And then you give half of that to your agent or manager, Mm -hmm. some of which are double dipping, which is another thing that we could get into that should be illegal, but isn't per se. (laughs) They're charging the producers an agency fee, and then they'll take another 10 or 20% from the actor's Mm -hmm. amount. And mm-hmm. then you got the tax, man. So that $1,500 might turn into like seven dollars or $800 take home. And you might be on national TV during football season or, or during mm-hmm. the Academy Awards. And people think you made tens of thousands of dollars where you maybe made $700 for three years. The other conundrum you could get into is even if that commercial didn't ask for exclusivity in that category of advertiser, you could get another offer from another fast food chain that wants to book you and they want exclusivity. Mm -hmm. 
but they're not going to take you because you yeah. did this non-union thing or you did a, another job that is holding you up for three years in that category. For sure. There are horror stories on the actors uh, where actors uh, talk to each other and they're like, did you hear about so-and-so? He or she was supposed to be, you know, some huge spokesman, but they had some non-union commercial still around on the internet or whatever and the company yeah. went a different way. And you're like, you're talking about maybe hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in yeah. a lost opportunity. So yeah, that's my saddest thing. I'm, I'm very pro-union and sometimes I get actors that are non-union or are pre-members or FICOR and they're like, you just want all jobs union for yourselves. And I'm like, no, no, no. I want no. union opportunities for all actors. Yeah. If you're just starting out, I had opportunities to book union work and I got to see the difference between non-union and union work and union pay and non-union pay and benefits early on in my career where I think there's too many actors right now that have spent years booking non-union work. They don't know the alternative. They think $1,500 is the going rate to be in a fast food commercial. And it's like, yeah. that is not necessarily so. And then on top of that, they're getting nothing towards their health care. So they have to pony up for health care out of their own pocket. And they have no retirement funds. And they might be in their 20s, right. 30s, 40s, and they haven't started a retirement fund. It's like, these should be necessities. This should be normal life stuff for all employees in the United States. If you work and what you do is quality work, you should be paid according accordingly and, and should have that. I want to move on and ask you a, a little bit more, but we talked about at the top of the show, is, uh, is your engagement with producers and production teams. And yeah. what does that look like from the actor side? Because I know a lot of production teams don't treat actors with the kind of same respect or care that we treat the crew. You know, we know that, you know, the gaffer needs to know everything about this job and the shoot so he can tell his team and communicate and have the right tools. And I feel like the same should be applied to the actors because they're just as an important part of the team. And I don't think that care is distributed as it should be. So, you know, what's your experience from your side of engaging with? I know you've been on my commercials. I don't think we ever really talk, but you talk to my production teams or the agents talk to you. Uh, what's your experience on how that communication is handled? Yeah, I think you just hit it right there. That word communication is everything. As an actor, you just want to be in the know of what's going on. I, You know, the thing as a performer that is like my ninth circle of hell and something that scares me is just feeling like you're unprepared. We all are people pleasers as actors. We, we want to do a good job. We want to perform well enough that maybe people will remember us and use us down the road. So that's kind of the, the big thing. So sometimes, you know, just the communication, if it's not kind of set up from the jump of who you can turn to or can you raise your hand and ask a question or whatever. Um, communication is key. Getting a call sheet and knowing where you're shooting and when mm -hmm. you're maybe going to be needed on set. It's simple stuff like that. I don't need to be coddled at all. And I don't need much to feel like, oh, this is the set is run properly. But I think <laughs> as producers, the best ones that I've worked with, you yourself included, there's kind of just a top-down mentality. If there's a really cool rapport between the producer and the crew and the director, and then that, that feeds to the director talking to the actors and the ADs, and there's kind of this chain of command where as an actor you feel safe and supported and you do have the freedom and ability to talk to an AD, to a producer, to the director, and just feel like your voice is being heard. There's all these little things that, you know, as actors we always, like, don't rock the boat, just keep your head down, just please everyone, just say yes to everything and go with it. And it's like, mm. as I've been doing this long enough, you can just see there's a difference where sometimes you feel like you are almost a nuisance or you're just like, Ugh. and that's a shitty feeling to have <laughs> yeah. on any work set or environment. You just don't want to feel like you're left out. So I think communication to the actor of just feeling like they're part of the team is everything. 
I mean, I, I agree with that because we're expecting you to be at your best. In order for you to be that way, you have to have information. Yeah. Right? And when actors feel supported and safe and, oh, this is a fun set, like the director and producer are making sure that even when shit happens, because you guys know shit happens on every shoot day of every production ever mm-hmm. but it's how it's handled and if it's like oh we're gonna roll with the punches we're we're agile we're flexible we're gonna make this work as an actor you're like this is cool this is a nice set that always is like a top-down thing and you can feel that as an actor those are my best jobs that's when you you walk away and you can see that as an actor i felt like i got to do my best work the director's giving thumbs up to everyone the crew is happy that we didn't go way <laughs> over and they're like yeah. i can go home to my families and have a meal with my family and the clients are walking away you know too that are just like that was way better than we even expected if that all comes together that happens quite often and yeah that's a great thing it can yeah. and it's actually like kind human you know like humanity the treatment is like how you would want golden rule shit and For it's all sure. basic enough to wear like, like it's hard because I do have, I have to stop some people sometimes and say, listen, I understand that there was a producer out there that treated you poorly and did something to you that you yeah. have brought into assuming that I'm going to do. And I get that. Why don't we pretend for now that I'm not going to do that <laughs> and just start over. And yeah. when I say that, it usually just breaks down. Okay, fine. You're right. So, okay, now we can communicate, right? That's like all relationships. Yeah. Not to bring in your baggage, <laughs> but I. I've seen that again, like in, in non-union stuff, hearkening back to those first few jobs. It's like really the only director, and I won't name names, but the only director that was like a yeller and a tyrant and kind of made just the whole set feel like walking on eggshells was one of the first like three jobs I ever did. And I was like, took it as, oh, maybe this is how everyone works. And then I realized after working, you know, getting in the union, working all these union jobs, like, no, 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 that person was the outlier. It's it's just Pitka. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a few others I could name, too. Exactly. I always name names. I don't care. It's okay. He's never (laughs) going to hire me. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And the the example, too, that I've I've seen just first person, too, a lot of my friends do background work. And they, you know, a lot of times they can just be treated As, you know, second class in so many ways where it's like, you guys go stand with no shade in the sun on an asphalt parking lot and we'll give you two folding chairs and there's 60 of you. And it's like, you eat last and all these things that have Uh, always made me feel like, oh my God, it's so like they're human beings that are making, you know, a little bit of money and they're hungry (laughs) and they need shade and bottled water and just to be just to be treated as such. Everyone on that set from top to bottom should be like, hey, we're all in this together. Let's do something good together. And everybody wins. Very true. So do you have any words of wisdom for young actors out there trying to get their careers going? I've learned so many things over over the years. I've always prepared and taking everything seriously, even if it's an audition for a no-line, internet-only commercial. It's like, I'll spend a little bit of time to come up with some ideas of what I might do in the audition or the callback. Because I think a lot of people, you know, just going to auditions is like, just kind of half-assing it. And I just know that's not going to work. And then when you are performing, just to be committed, making bold decisions and making decisions that might be wrong. And at this, on the same like side of that token is to be flexible, to be directable. Because you see that sometimes I've been lucky enough to sit on the other side of, of casting, helping out producers or directors that are friends of mine. And it was the most enlightening experience. So as an actor, if you can sit on the other side of the, the casting table, you just learn to take it easy on yourself. If you're doing yeah. the work and you're making good decisions, it's like you're doing a great job. You're doing exactly what you need to be doing. And to kind of give yourself a break, because a lot of times you don't book work and the first thing an actor is going to 
to do is like, you're a piece of shit. <laughs> you should quit. You'll never work in this town right. again. Yeah. You're awful and everyone hates you. I mean, I do that when I when I don't get a phone call in a week. I'm like, oh my God, I'm <laughs> the worst producer me. in the world. They hate yes. me. A whole yep. week. All well, usually stuff. three days. <laughs> usually three days, to be honest. Um, but. And then like, you know, if you are on set is to to not bother anyone and at the same time observe what everyone's doing and kind of learn how a set works and always be nearby. So if they do need you, if they do change up the shots and they're like, hey, is Mike around? And you're like, hey, I'm right here. I'm right next to set. I know that like ADs, directors, producers, everyone appreciates that you're not wasting anyone's time. So you're just paying attention and you're just, you know, a team player and you're right, you're right there all you're the time. ready, ready for action. So, do what you do best. It's like, again, you've heard that a bunch too, of like not to really emulate anybody else because you are the only person that has your life experience and find out kind of what what your bag is and do that earnestly and genuinely like each and every time. And when you're consistent, I think when you, you, you cultivate these relationships with casting and directors and producers where if you show them that you're, man, this person's always a pro, they're flexible. Mm-hmm. I can throw th- anything at them. I can put them through the ringer and they just go with it and they keep killing it. Yeah. There's no way you're going to go through your life and be like, I never had any opportunities. You show up genuinely as yourself. You bring some some yeah. bold choices to the table and, and don't be a dick. Yeah, don't be a dick is for <laughs> real. Like it's number one yeah. in everything. It's like it doesn't it matter really what you're doing. Don't be yeah. a dick is because everyone is going to remember that. If you were a dick to anyone, and I don't care who it is, Everyone feels like, oh, I treat the director and producer and the clients this way, and then I treat everyone like trash. It's like, no, the director talks to everyone on set. The producer knows the crew. If you were really talented, you could get away with that back in the day, and now people just don't have time for that. Life is hard enough as it is. The world is tough. You want to hang out with someone all day on a set? That's a big thing. Like, Do you want to be a person You know that people will want to hang out with all day? Maybe on a 14-hour shoot, you better be pretty cool and be, be nice to be around. Yeah, exactly. Mike, you have a podcast. Yes, I do. I luck, like a dream came true last year in 2021. I had been trying to get on my favorite game show of all time, Jeopardy, for 20 plus years. And last year, I finally got on the show and I incredibly won three games of Jeopardy. So I'm a three time Jeopardy champ. Amazing. So after my run on Jeopardy last spring, a good friend of mine called me up and she's like, I want to do a podcast. I'll help you produce it. You're hosting it. Let's go. Because I had been doing Zoom trivia for friends throughout the pandemic, and I've been doing game nights at my house, and I've played pub trivia for decades. And it just all came together. So we worked on it for about a year, and we came up with this weekly trivia podcast. It's called You Should Know Better, because we all should know better. We should always be learning. That's our that's our goal here is like always be learning yes. and always yes. be on the prowl to know better. There's kind of like a, a two-pronged endorphin rush when it comes to trivia. If you do know the answer, you get this little kick where you're like, yeah. I fucking know what the capital oh of Vermont is. Uh, it's Montpelier. Montpelier. Yeah. <laughs> you also get this endorphin rush when you learn something kind of cool and new where you're like, oh, I didn't know David Lynch directed The Elephant Man. Did you know right. that? David Lynch, like of all the weird stuff, directed The Elephant Man. It's one of the greatest movies of all time. Um, so when I learn something new, I always get this like, ah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remember that. That's a good one. <laughs> so yeah, we have two people come on. They're usually in the industry, a lot of actors and writers and directors and whatnot, as well as some former Jeopardy champs. We have episodes where we have Jeopardy champs come on. They're all playing for a charity of their choice because that was a big part of our show was to play for charity. Win or lose, we're going to make a donation to these people, to the, the great charities they bring up. I thought it would be fun. It is the most fun thing like I've ever done. It's just so 
cool and great to uh, catch up with really great, funny people and and play some trivia online. So yeah, you should know better. Like a blast. You yeah, should know better great. on all the uh, apps and yep. and yep. players. Yep, wherever you can find your podcast, as we all say. And yeah, it's like all anytime it's shared or like you guys with your podcast, it's like yeah, to to just spend a, a second and hit that five star rating and write a review yes. for your guys's podcast yes. and mine. It's like. That stuff helps. It, it really, helps so really much. helps. Yeah. So check it out. This has been fantastic. Mike, thank you so much for having a drink with us today, spending happy hour with us. My pleasure. This was great. <laughs> Anytime. I'd love to come back. What's the best way for people to find you, talk to you, besides listening to your podcast? Yeah, they can follow me on the social medias. My name is very vanilla, so I couldn't get just Mike Nelson, of course. <laughs> there are six billion Mike Nelsons yes. on the planet. So I think on social media, I think I'm Mike C. Nelson and then the number one. So Mike C. Nelson one on almost everything instagram and twitter and facebook they can find me on amazing yeah and lawrence if anybody wants you how can they get you oh so many ways lawrencetlewis.com for producing voiceover work is voiceoflawrence.com maybe walking down the street i don't know sunset and gower somewhere around there i don't know sister christian how about you I'm sisterchristianproduces.com. Anytime, just come on in. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, guys. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Mike. Bye, all. Producers Happy Hour is brought to you with the help of the handsome Christopher Daniels, who is a design and branding specialist, and Brendan Russell at podlad.com, who is our fabulous editor. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to dive deeper, subscribe to our listeners' newsletter. Simply go to producershappyhour.com to sign up. Thanks for listening, and remember, enjoy happy hour while you can. Because making shit is hard. Hard. hard.